when I got uh, when I got the email through saying uh, this is when you'll be preaching and this is the passages, I looked at it and it was two verses. And I thought, what the heck am I going to get out of two verses? How am I going to preach on that? So I read the two verses, and I read them again, and I read them again, and realised there's about eight sermons in there. Um, it's just packed with stuff. But I think we'll just do one tonight. And um, the thing I'm going to draw out of the passage is worship. And um, I wonder what comes to mind for you when you hear the word worship. I'm guessing for most of you, it's it's kind of singing. It's what we've been doing tonight. It's, uh, it's praise, it's sung... Uh, stuff we do in church and at New Wine and stuff like that, or you might stick on a worship CD. Um, and um, I remember recently uh, singing, you know the song Dancing Generation? Do you know that song? There's a, so I started singing the first verse, which is, will be a dancing generation, but it was actually the second verse, which is, will be a shouting generation. But I'd already said the duh of dancing, and then kind of morphed into the shouting, and ended up saying, will be a doubting generation. <laughs> which is, um, which is not very helpful, is it? And, um, and likewise, a long time ago, I was, do you remember that song, I will give you all my worship? And it, um, I was singing, I will love you, but again, it was the second verse, which is, I will seek you. And I ended up singing, I will leak you. Which, um, which, which kind of sounds messy, but also quite cool. If we just kind of leaked God, how cool would that be? Um, but some, some worship songs are really hard to sing, aren't they? There's, there's, um, there's an old song we used to sing, uh, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. It's like, flipping out, that is big stuff to be able to sing that. And... Um, and one that always made me laugh was, I will sing of your love forever. And we kind of sing that chorus over and over again and get bored after a while, won't we? Like, I'll sing of your love forever. Gosh, just like, and we just get bored of singing his, of his love. Um, so, um, so worship is about singing, but it's not just about singing. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, if we look at the original Greek, <laughs> you didn't expect that to come out of my mouth, did you? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a good job you're all sitting down. But if we, um, if we look at the original Greek for the word worship at the end of verse 1, it is latruo, which I've probably said wrong and lost all credibility already, but it's um, latruo, which, um, which when it's translated means service to God. So some translations, like the one we've got here, it says this is your true worship, true and proper worship. And other translations say it's your reasonable service. It's an active word. And um, it kind of got me thinking, why do we worship anyway? Why do we worship? Um, I guess we, we worship because of who he is and, and what he's done. Uh, he and he alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. And, uh, and we want to draw close to him and honour him. But if, uh, if worship isn't just singing, what is it? Well, I guess it's, a, it's an attitude, it's a lifestyle, and um, yeah, a way of life, how we treat people. Uh, what we give, what we give away and what we keep, uh, sacrifice. And, um, and we know this because when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Those are the two things that are most important to God. And so by doing those things, that is living a life of worship. Um, it's not just the greatest commandment that tells us this. In, in, Matthew, uh, in Matthew 18, we, we get the story of the unmerciful servant. And, uh, and God wants us to be merciful. He, he describes himself as merciful. Um, and this un, unmerciful servant, he kind of doesn't behave how God wants him to. And, um, and so God says, 
uh, that he will be thrown out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the, uh, the literal translation of weeping and gnashing of teeth is drinking tea and going to barn dances. <laughs> and, um, and if you like any of those things, there'll be prayer ministry afterwards. But, um, but later on in Matthew, in Matthew 25, we get this parable of the sheep and the goats. And, uh, and Jesus doesn't hold back. You know, he's saying, uh, when you, uh, when you fed the hungry and gave uh, gave drink to the thirsty when you clothed the naked when you visited those who were ill and in prison and when you invited the stranger in you did that for me and when you didn't do it you didn't do it for me and um, and he says that for those people who didn't um, they'll be taken away to eternal punishment that's like that's huge that's a huge thing to say and um and I was thinking, if you were here last week, last Sunday night, listening to, to Mark talking about Romans 8, when he's talking about there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. And then you hear this saying, you know, that this will happen. How's that marry up? How's that work? And I guess, um, I guess we are all forgiven people. And we, and if we live like that and we live graciously, then that's, that's good. But if we're kind of saying, do you know what? I'm in Christ. There's no condemnation in me. I don't need to look after people. Happy days. That's cheap grace. It's the wrong heart. And it's not what Jesus wants. <clears throat> so it would appear, as we probably already know deep down, that worship's not just about singing. Um, there's some pretty full-on passages, though. In Amos uh, 5.23... God says, away of your things. I will not lift but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. If, uh, if we're kind of singing on a Sunday and then we're not going out and living a life of worship, it kind of misses the point a bit. Similarly, in Isaiah, as quoted in Matthew and Mark, uh, God says, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Um, this is not a guilt trip. This is not, it's not meant to make you feel bad. I think things like guilt and fear and things like that, they are balls and chains around our ankle that stop us from living life to the full. It's exactly what the enemy wants. Jesus came to give us life. But this is about uh, just encouraging us to take a look at how we respond to God's love. Um, God describes himself in Exodus as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And uh, I just think he wants us to be like that too. He wants us to be the same. We just sang uh, Heart of Worship. And, uh, and that's saying, you know, I'll bring you more the song. I'll bring you more. God wants more than that. And if he wants more, uh, a song that we'll sing a bit later from Tim Hughes, God of Justice, that says... Um, Keep us from just singing. Move us into action. It's like, the singing's great, but not as a standalone thing. Move us into action. In, in recent years, this term press in has come in. And if we, if we kind of, like pressing in during worship, sung worship in church, or, or whatever kind of event we're going to, and pressing in the worship, but then that's not overflowing into our, into our day-to-day lives with the things that matter to God, I kind of think it's not really working. 
So acts of worship could be uh, it could be holding our finances a bit more loosely, uh, building meaningful relationships with people that we we wouldn't normally uh, get on with, and talking to them about Jesus, looking out for the poor. I mean, it can all seem a bit religious, can't it? It can all, you know, do we need to do these things in order to get God's love? Well, no, but it's a, it's a response. He loves us. He loves other people. He wants us to respond uh, to people's needs. But I do think there's a an element of sacrifice that needs to be involved. You know, Jesus in, in Luke 9 says, take up your cross daily. That would suggest that there needs to be sacrifice in our lives daily. And that could be that, you know, you're walking home, you see something across the road, somebody that you really should speak to or, or perhaps go and give some money to, and, and you know that it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you because it means you get home a bit later and your tea might be cold or you miss the beginning of the neighbours, whatever it is. But it costs you. But And we do need to weigh things up. But sometimes we need to weigh things up and do it anyway. Um, the passage tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, the word transform comes from the Greek. I am on a roll tonight. It's coming from, comes from the Greek uh, metamorph, where we get the word metamorphosis from. Uh, and it's, it's an inner change that produces an outward change in us. And unlike a caterpillar that um, changes into a butterfly and there's an end result, I think for us it's just ongoing. It's always, we are always being transformed and we always need to be seeking to be transformed. Uh, we, can, we can kind of do that ourselves through, through kind of praying, praying that God will help takes us as well. We need to, we need to play our part. Um, I've recently come across this, uh, this phrase, training, not trying. You know, we can try really hard at things, but often they won't work. We need to train ourselves. If I decide that I'm going to try really hard tonight to run a marathon, I will run probably as far as Victoria Park and drop dead. But if I train myself over several months, then, you know, I'm more likely to succeed. And it's the same with our lives, isn't it? It's the same. If we say, oh, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to try really hard to look after the poor and, the- and those on the fringes of society... But in reality, we need to start putting things in place that will enable us to do that. And so it becomes a habit for us, something that we, that we just do. Um, Matt Redman's book, uh, Blessed Be Your Name, the first line of the first chapter says, worship is always a choice. And um, I think I agree with that. I think I look at the Psalms and I see people who say, you know, Lord, you're great. And they start praising him. And as you read on the Psalm, you see that actually life's not all they've decided to worship God that they start off saying you know life's rubbish and me um, um yeah so, um, some of them start off saying, um, you know, things are tough. Things are tough. My enemies are pursuing me. Uh, but they say, but still I will choose to worship you. Still I will choose. It's a choice. And sometimes the, the way we kind of um, worship God in our day-to-day lives is going to be a choice. And it's going to involve a sacrifice. You know, today is World Toilet Day. <coughs> There are 2.3 billion people in the world that don't have access to a safe toilet. 
And um, and back in the back in the spring, I thought it'd be cool to do something in our community that raised a bit of awareness and and gave people an opportunity to respond. So I thought, you know, a bit like the the lions we had and the pigs and the Wallace and Gromit thing in Bristol. Let's have toilets. Let's get a load of toilets. And, and businesses and organisations and schools can, can have a toilet, decorate it however they want, and we'll have them around Western, have a trail, people can go around, and back to the centre, toilet twinning there. It's going to be great. So, um, but I didn't want it to cost people. I wanted people to, to join in with this without too much cost. So I wrote to a whole load of toilet manufacturers and says, can I have a bunch of toilets? And, uh, and I probably wrote to a dozen of them, and one of them got back to me and said, tell us a bit more. So I told them, and then they got back and said, we're going to have a meeting today about it, and we'll let you know. So they came back and said, we've had a meeting, it's a great idea, all the best, but you know, we've given a lot of money to charity this year already, uh, so we're not going to do that. And so I kind of drew a line under it. Um, but I thought to myself, I was a bit, I was a bit gutted, because I thought, it's not going to cost you a lot of money to pull some of these things off the production line. But then I thought, how often do people come to the door asking for money for charity or whatever? And I think, do you know what? I've given my bit. I've given my bit already. And I think too often we kind of have our, oh, it's the 10%, magic 10% or whatever it is. And we say, no, I've given that now. Or I've given my time. I've done this and this. I've given my time. And of course we need to look at, we need to protect ourselves. We can't give to everything. But maybe we sometimes just need to say, yeah, I'm going to give a bit extra. And it's going to cost me, but I'm going to give a bit extra. The passage talks about the pattern of this world. I wonder what that is. I wonder whether it's comfort, or stuff, or uh, laziness. Maybe it's apathy or indifference. Um, if, it, if it feels good, do it. You know, or, or maybe it's kind of storing up treasure uh, or, or money for our children's inheritance. But often the thing that gets in the way of us responding is our problems. And our problems, as Max Lucado says, and he's got a book, Six Hours, One Friday, he says the source of your problems is your blessings. And um, I know that, like most of us here, I live in a very safe city, in a very safe country. And I have, uh, I have access to... Uh, electricity and clean water. I've always got food in the cupboard. Got access to the NHS and medicine. I've had an education, believe it or not. And um, and on top of all that, I've got an amazing wife. I've got wonderful children, a lovely house, a great job. I'm running out of adjectives, but you get my point so many blessings that I've got a lot to lose and sometimes I perhaps don't step out as much as I, as I could or should in fear of it kind of jeopardising what I've got um, we, asked, um, we asked some of the young people that we work with recently, we said what's, what's your purpose in life and um, they said a range of things, some of them said to make loads of money some of them said to have lots of sex. And there was lots of things in between. And we kind of unpacked what, um, what that was. And when, um, when Cuthbert from Eagles was here many years ago, about ten years ago, it was the first time I met him, he stood up here 
and was talking about purpose. And he said, God has made us with the peppers. And I was sat out there, and I thought he said, God has made us with the peppers. And I looked around, and everyone was like nodding. Yeah, yeah. I thought, what, what are you nodding at? But he said, God has made us with the peppers. And I believe that that purpose that God's made us for is to worship him, to, to love the Lord our God with our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. I think that's our purpose. And what that looks like will be different for different people. Um, there are three things that I, uh, I talk quite passionately about and I believe to be true. One is praising God in all circumstances. Two is um, living a life of justice where there's injustice. And three is talking to people about Jesus who don't know him. The problem is, I struggle with living those things out. They're a struggle for me. I believe them wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm really passionate about those three things, but when it comes to living them out, I find it quite tough. And, um, and I've found preparing this sermon quite challenging. Because um, I don't know about you, but I, I fall really short here. Um, not, not because I'm not meeting the quota but because I want to do what pleases my Heavenly Father. Um, one of the things that I pray regularly for my children is that they'll be compassionate. And I was out um, walking the other day and I was praying, praying this over them and then I realised, actually, I need to be more compassionate. Because when I get disappointed, when I see a lack of compassion in them, who's modelling it to them? Because I'm lacking in compassion. Um, there's a there's a Bible, the Poverty and Justice Bible, and this is this has got loads of highlighted stuff in about everything that tackles poverty, that addresses poverty and injustice. It's full of highlighted stuff because this is God's heart. God's heart is for the poor and the oppressed and all those people on the fringes. That's God's heart, and that's who He wants us to respond to. I'm, I'm convinced. So how should we respond? Well, here's a list of things we should do this week. I'm kidding, there's no list. Because it's not about a list of things. It's about you and God. I've got my stuff. I know, I know what needs to go on for me. And you might know for you. Uh, for some of you, you might just need to pray about it. For some of you, you might know absolutely what needs to change for you to be transformed. And for some of us, it might just be keeping our eyes open and, uh, and responding to what's around us. But I would encourage you to chat to people about it. Chat to your friends, chat to your spouses, your home groups, your prayer partners, whoever it is. Because, you know, if we're going to respond, it's much harder on our own. If we tell people about it and have some accountability there, people can ask us questions. Um, I chatted to someone recently and I asked them to ask me from time to time how I'm doing with this stuff. The problem was that he was one of those really annoying people that did what they said that they say they did. And, uh, and I get asked some very tough questions from time to time. But it's good. It keeps me on my toes. Um, I'm going to finish. I want a new normal in my life. I want to be distinctly different. 
Um, as a side note, living a life like this is, is the greatest form of evangelism as well. You go out there and you just love people. They're going to start asking why. <clears throat> as I said earlier, it's not a guilt trip. It's not about, you know, are you doing enough? If you're feeling bad or guilty, because uh, it's my bad, okay? But it's, um, it's not about that at all. And it's not knocking corporate worship. It's not saying, you know, it's not about singing. It's imperative that we come together as a church body, as a church family, and we, and we sing praises to God. But there's got to be an overflow of that into our lives, into our weeks. Um, sometimes we ask the question, what do, you want, what do you want me to do, Lord? I've asked that loads of times. I want writing in the sky. But actually, we know, really. It doesn't matter whether, if we're looking for a certain job or whatever, he wants us to, uh, to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with him. He wants us to love him and love our neighbour as ourselves. He wants us to respond as, as in the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it sounds like a long list, but it's not. It's just all the same. It's just about loving people. So the very last thing that I want to say is that there's a real hidden gem in among this stuff and living like this. Because if we, if we do this, if we live a life that just looks out for other people and we respond sacrificially and, and in a way that we know God wants us to, then we start to bring some of the life in all its fullness that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. 10. We start to bring some of that life in all its fullness to the lives of other people. But the real beauty is that we also start to have life in all its fullness. When we start living a life where we are blessing other people, we ourselves will have life in all its fullness as well.